0: Thank you, Father, that you care for us. Thank you that we can run to you and you greet us with open arms. Help us to do that this morning, Lord, to bring all of our problems and worries and lay them at your feet and rest in your accomplished work. May you be our only shield and comfort, the only wing we come under for protection, For indeed, that is where our hope lies in your faithful word. Father, by your spirit, may we think much of Christ and little of ourselves. Amen. I encouraged last time uh, for all of you to go home and read the whole book of Ruth. Uh, I think that is still a good thing to be done. Remember that this is a story and it's building on itself. And so when you're considering a specific chapter, Uh, Ruth is easy. It's only four chapters, and so you can really take in the whole of the story, but then also really glean some of the the real specifics from from one individual chapter. In Ruth chapter 1, last time, we saw the goodness of the Lord amidst a family who was absolutely devastated by the pains and difficulties of this world. It was during the time of the judges when everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes that Elimelech led his wife and his two sons from Bethlehem out of the promised land and into Moab because there was a famine in Israel. Both he and his two sons die, leaving Naomi and her two daughters-in-law, these these Moabites, these women, their wives. The Lord providentially brings Naomi and Ruth back to Bethlehem. All the while, though, Naomi is bitter at the Lord for all of her problems. Right? She says, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. Naomi means pleasant. Mara means bitter. Yet they do not know about the man that God has set aside for their family. In the last sermon, I told you that Boaz was a type of Christ. But now we're going to see very closely what that looks like. And this will be necessary for us as we're considering kind of this larger theme of the book of Ruth, which is that the Lord is faithful to redeem. Okay, the Lord is faithful to redeem. That is going to be the thread that runs through all four chapters of the book of Ruth. And in each chapter, my hope is that we can see very clearly how the Lord is doing that and how he is using his people and and his word uh, to do just that. In chapter one, we meditated on God who is always good. And that was such a sweet comfort for a family who was so devastated. The main point that I want us to focus on in chapter 2 just makes that so much sweeter, right? So if if God is always good, what I want us to remember that this morning, God cares for his own, okay? God cares for his own. There are three natural sections in our text this morning, and I'm going to use these to be our outline for the sermon, okay? Okay? First in verses one through seven we 're going to see Boaz notice Ruth okay so Boaz notices Ruth verses one through seven, and then this is followed by our second point, which is Boaz shows kindness to Ruth that's verse eighteen or sorry verse eight through sixteen and that 's going to be the bulk of our time this morning. Finally, I want us to conclude by seeing hope of redemption in verse seventeen through twenty three so we have Boaz notices Ruth, verses 1 through 7. Boaz shows kindness to Ruth, verse 8 through 16. And hope of redemption, verse 17 through 23. I'll repeat those as I'm moving along, but let's look at our first point. Boaz notices Ruth, verse 1 through 17. Look down your Bibles, but actually look back at at, uh, verse 22 of chapter 1. That, That chapter ended in this way. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. So as I said, this is a story, and we're to consider that story as a whole, and and everything is going to be building on itself. I commented that with a glimmer of hope, this is the way the author transitions us from the opening scene uh, of chapter 1 down to its end, and now to chapter 2, we come to verse 1. And we are introduced to Boaz, and he's going to be our third and final main character. So we have Naomi and Ruth we saw very intimately last chapter, and now we're going to meet Boaz. And before we even met this man, so to speak, the author informs us right away what kind of a man he is. Look at verse 1. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. This is immediately grabbing our attention, right? Our full attention, because we're not expecting someone like Boaz. Why would we not expect someone like Boaz? Look back at Ruth chapter 1, verse 11. Naomi says, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they are grown? So we are not expecting a man like Boaz. Not only is Boaz a relative of of Naomi through Elimelech, but he's also a worthy man. And that characteristic is evidently known by his clan. You see that in in verse 1. Worthy here is meaning more of a, like a virtuous or of good character, okay? It's not necessarily of wealth, though he is, we'll find he's a, he's a wealthy man. He's a worthy man. The same term is used by Boaz in chapter 3 about Ruth. So very interestingly, we have the Lord bringing these two worthy people together in his good providence. And the last thing worth recognizing here in our opening verse is that These are the author's words. In chapter 1, we heard a lot from Naomi, who, as we saw, did not have the the best view of the Lord. Right? We saw her her theology was was twisted because her eyes were so clouded by the despair and, and just the devastation that she had suffered. In this opening verse, however, this is truth. The author is communicating to us, Boaz, exactly how he is. And that will be proved to us in just a moment. Okay? So we've heard about Boaz. Now we get to the real opening scene. The opening scene of our, of our chapter 2. The second part of this narrative. It's Naomi and it's Ruth again. In verse 2, Ruth says, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain. After him in whose sight I shall find favor. These widows and these in-laws right, are still having to provide for themselves. The main difference here. Is that they are now doing this in the midst of God's people in his promised land. And why does that matter? Listen to Deuteronomy 24, verse 19. In his law to the people, the Lord commands this When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. The Lord is caring for his own. The fact that these these women are going to be working and seeking to harvest in the promised land, it means that they're going to be among people who have a standard set by the Lord himself. Ruth is seeking to glean in the field of someone in whose eyes she shall find favor. Ruth's hope is that Essentially, someone will show her mercy, right? She isn't looking for a husband. We, we, when we consider kind of the bigger uh, story of Ruth, we think so quickly about Ruth and Boaz, but we got to think about where Ruth is right now. She's trying to care for herself and for her mother-in-law. Essentially, her hope is that someone will let her come behind them and pick up scraps after them. That someone would have mercy on her, that someone would care for her. It is clear that she has found favor in the sight of the Lord. Listen to the beginning of Psalm 146, verse 9. It says, The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. Yahweh, the God of Israel, is watching over Ruth because he cares for her. Look now at verse 3. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reaper's. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Ruth happens to find herself in Boaz's field? Yeah, right. <laughs> this is brilliant writing. Why does the author choose to use this verbiage of happening, or as Shane pointed out a few sermons ago, this by chance? Okay. It's that same idea that she just happened, or just by chance she came to the field of Boaz. What this language does is it makes so little or so small of the thing that it forces us as the listeners to sit up and say, it's not by chance. God is providentially bringing this about. It's so obvious. The author is using irony to remind us that this is not a story about Naomi or Ruth or even Boaz. Boaz. This is a story about God and his providence, about his faithfulness to redeem his people. The Lord who sent a famine to the promised land, who sent Elimelech away to Moab, who brought Naomi and this Moabite girl back, he is now leading Ruth straight to the field of Boaz, of the clan of Elimelech. This author is emphasizing the fact that Ruth did not know about Boaz and was not planning to just bump into him or manipulate a situation to her favor. This is completely and totally a work of the Lord. The Lord providentially works to care and provide for not just Ruth and Naomi, but for his people Israel. Consider this. God is going to use Ruth happening to come into Boaz's field to bring about the birth of Jesus Christ, the Messiah a thousand or so years later. We experience things happening all the time, right? However, as Christians, we have the privilege and responsibility to see things happening all around us and our response ought to be, praise God for he is at work. Look at verse four. Now we actually get to meet this worthy man of the clan of Elimelech who owns the field that God has brought Ruth to. What does this worthiness look like? And Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Boaz blesses his workers, essentially that the Lord would be with them in their work, and that they would work to the glory of God. The Lord be with you. The workers then respond by blessing Boaz Essentially saying that in all your endeavors, in this year's harvest, may the Lord bless you in that. See, Boaz has created a work environment, not just full of positivity and and good relationships, but one that is centered on the Lord. I want to ask you, what kind of person are you at work? Are you someone who grumbles and complains until the weekend? If I call you tomorrow morning at 9.30 in the morning, do I get the same person who is sitting here this morning? And this does not just apply to to those who are maybe going into the office. This is for every role that God has called us to. If you're in the office, if you're a boss, if you are uh, driving, if you are a mother, if you are a student, God has called you to be faithful and to approach each day honoring and glorifying him. In Philippians 2, Paul says, "Do all things without grumbling or complaining, that you may be blessed, may be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as light in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ" I may be be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. How do we shine as lights amidst a dark and crooked world, especially at a workplace or uh, surrounded by sinful little children? We work to the glory of God. Having started the workday then, very God-centered, Boaz notices something is out of place. Look at verse 5. Then Boaz said to his young, woman, or his young man, who is in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? Boaz knows she is not one of his servants. And if she were a servant at all, she would not be in his field. She would be harvesting in her master's field. So the fact that Ruth is in his field would lead us to identify this question as being more so whose household does she belong to? And that could be either through marriage or as a daughter, she clearly is out of place, and he wants to know who she is. His servant answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Everyone knows who Naomi is, right? Remember, the whole town was in a, in a great stir when she returned. And they know that she returned not with her husband or her two sons, but with this young Moabite woman. I don't want us to overlook this, uh, this unnamed foreman, right? this manager over the, the, sermons, uh, the servants of Boaz. He's in charge of the reapers, and he actually emphasizes this worthiness that we're learning about Boaz. Apparently, Ruth came to him early in the morning and requested to glean from them. And this manager responds on behalf of his boss, Boaz, because this is Boaz's field. In other words, he asks himself, how would Boaz respond to this request? And this man acts rightly. And that is demonstrated by Boaz's continued care for Ruth in the the next few verses. So as we see in, in this first point, I want us to consider two key truths that will help us as we're moving forward. The first is this. Ruth is relying on Boaz for her good. The second is Ruth is a hard worker. I love the image that Proverbs 31 paints of a godly woman, and a lot of that is what we're going to see coming out of Ruth. It says, an excellent wife, who can find? She is far more precious than jewels. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her, many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Ruth's hard work and her efforts should be admired. We are all to work hard and to be faithful in the work that God has called us to, the, works that he, the, the lives that he has placed us in. And again, whether that is managing a business or driving a truck or working from home, all is to be done unto the Lord, fearing him alone. So let's look now at our, the main point of our, uh, of our chapter this morning. Boaz shows kindness to Ruth, verses 8 through 16. Verse eight, then Boaz said to Ruth, listen now, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Boaz can protect Ruth in his field but not if she goes off to another field, right? It's just very simple. He is showing her tender fatherly care as one ought to show a daughter. He even refers to her as daughter, right? And this is emphasizing their, their age difference. Boaz is a successful, single, older man, right? He's a catch. And yet, the Lord has sovereignly set him aside for this family and for Ruth. He has, he has lived his whole life as a, as a businessman growing in his enterprises, and he's not married. That's, that's uh, pretty incredible in this time. What we are seeing is an example of a godly man. We are seeing what it means for Boaz to be this type of Christ. When we look at Boaz, we are to see glimpses and, and shadows of the perfect to come in the Messiah, and this is going to be more and more clear the further we go through this story and the more we're hearing Boaz talk and see how he interacts with, uh, with his servants and with Ruth particularly. Boaz wants what's best for Ruth. This kind of protection that we're seeing here is meant to point us to Christ. Listen to John uh, chapter 18, the first uh, few verses. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers... From the chief priests and the Pharisees went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Okay, you're kind of taking in the scene. you, you know where this is set in, in history. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, "Whom do you seek?" They answered him, "Jesus of Nazareth." Jesus said to them, "I am He." Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, "I am He," they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have not lost one. Do you see Christ defending his disciples here? All that the father has given to the son will never be cast out. Jesus took on the wrath that was meant to be poured out on us. And Jesus now stands between you and the Holy Judge mediating for you. He is your Savior who loves you and cares for you. Looking back at our passage, notice Boaz charges the men not to touch her and that they are to draw water for her. And this is not to say that there have been times Boaz has let his men act inappropriately. No, he's a worthy man. As we saw with this foreman, this, this manager of his servants, they know what's expected from their boss. They know how he is going to respond in certain situations, and they know that they're not to touch uh, these these young women that come to, to glean. He has explicitly told them not just to protect her, but also to provide water for her when she is thirsty. And this is incredible. You have Jewish men drawing water for a Moabite woman. That, that does not happen, right? Husbands, it is not enough that we go out and work, and that puts money in our family's bank account. No, we are to do that. And then we're to come home and love our family and serve our wife forego our preferences of how we want to spend our time, help them and comfort them, lead them in family worship. Us going away and working is just a very small part of what the Lord has called us to be as husbands. Providing for and protecting for our wives. But there is so much more. Listen to Ephesians five twenty five. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and blem- blem- without blemish. Do you see how that will not be done just by earning a paycheck? We have to be intentional. We have to be pursuing and seeking to be like Christ. Far outside of just our work, well, Ruth is beside herself. She cannot believe what she has just heard from this man, and she falls on her face to demonstrate this beneathness. What can she say to such kindness? Verse ten: Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? Ruth humbly ad- identifies herself as a foreigner. But there is a very important difference that we're seeing throughout the Old Testament between a foreigner and a sojourner. Ruth is not a foreigner anymore. No, she is living in the the promised land. She is a sojourner. God's law speaks to this as well. Listen to Numbers 15. And if a stranger is sojourning with you, like Ruth, she's coming from Moabite, she's now in the promised land, or anyone living permanently among you, And he wishes to offer a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. He shall do as you do. So the the Gentile should do as the Israelites do. For the assembly there shall be one statute for you and for the stranger who sojourns with you. A statute forever throughout your generations. You and the sojourner shall be alike before the Lord. One law and one rule shall be for you and for the stranger who sojourns with you. Ruth recognizes herself as a non-Israelite, but God has clearly laid out in his law that if one is seeking to follow him according to his word, he is not going to keep that from them. And clearly, he's going to bless them just the same as he is his own people. Like Ruth, we must ask the Lord, O God, Why have I found favor in your eyes when I am a foreigner? Why would a holy God have anything to do with a filthy sinner? The simple answer to that question is this. And the Lord said, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And with that overwhelming truth, we ought to also fall down on our faces like Ruth if you are sitting here this morning as a true believer, it is because God has shown you mercy. Thank him without ceasing. But if you're sitting here and you're not sure that you are right before a holy God, cry out to him and ask him to show you the same mercy. He is good and he cares. Look now at verse 11. Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been told fully to me. And how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. Remember Orpah, Ruth's sister-in-law, the the other uh, wife of of, uh, Naomi's son. Orpah left Naomi and returned home, right? She did what made the most sense. Naomi encouraged them to leave and Orpah listened. She left. She went back to her home and to her household, apparently in the hopes to find a, a, a husband that was going to provide and protect for her. So Boaz here is recognizing what Ruth has given up. He also recognizes that she has given them up for God, for Yahweh. This act was more than just moving physically for Ruth. Ruth left her gods in Moab, and this is what Boaz is finding attractive about her. Remember, Ruth the, the well-known statement, your God, my God. She's not with her Moabite gods anymore. She is in the, the, the promised land with Yahweh. There is a very important distinction that I want to make clear for us. Boaz does not care for Ruth because he is a good and worthy man. And that's just what good and worthy men do. Boaz is a godly man and that manifests itself in a good and worthy deed. Do okay. you see how the first is centered on man doing good? The others is centered on God and the result of a man living like God. As soon as you remove goodness from godliness, goodness loses all of its meaning, right And we're seeing that today. This is what the author is getting at when they are referring to Boaz as a worthy man. He is a godly man. And this is underlined in this next verse, verse 12. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Boaz truly wants what's best for Ruth. What Boaz does not know yet is that the Lord will use him to answer this very prayer for her. And he recognizes that it is the Lord who has blessed Ruth. You see that the Lord repay you and a full reward be given you by the Lord. Proverbs 31, uh, sorry, 13 verse 21. It says, disaster pursues the sinners, but the righteous are rewarded with good. It truly is that simple. If you are seeking the Lord and worshiping him alone, you will be blessed. If you live for yourself, you will be destroyed. This is something we'll consider a little more deeply towards the end of our time this morning, but I'm mentioning it now because unlike the gods of Moab that Ruth has left or the gods of the surrounding nations, where you would do something for that God and then that God would almost like pay you back for your service to him. No, when Boaz says, the Lord repay you, this is getting more at the idea of a blessing and and peace be upon you. Because Why? Ruth has sought refuge under the wings of the Lord. In Psalm 57, when David is fleeing from Saul, who's trying to kill him, he sings, Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. Be merciful because I have taken refuge in you. We bring nothing to God. We rely on his character as he has revealed in his word. Ruth is praised here for seeking refuge under the wings of the Lord. And this is a very powerful phrase and is seen 38 times throughout the Psalms. Let me ask you this. Where are you seeking refuge? Where are you seeking refuge this morning? And where do you seek that refuge throughout the week when things are getting harder and harder and you're further and further away from Sunday? Is it in the Lord? Because Satan and his devices are set all across the earth, and they are threatening to undo us. But seek refuge in the Lord, because he cares for you. This refuge is not only for sojourning Gentiles like Ruth. No, instead, no one can offer anything to the Lord. Jesus says in Matthew twenty-three, "O Jerusalem, Jerusalem! the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. Right? He's condemning Israel itself, these Jews. How often would I have gathered your children as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to, uh, is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The Pharisees in their pride, want to justify and glorify themselves through their work and their, their efforts rather than humble themselves and be this needy little chick coming under the, the wing of the hen. So this is calling for the Jew and the Gentile, for all people to humble themselves and cry out to uh, the Lord for mercy and come under his wing. In 1 Peter 5, verses 6 and 7, Peter says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. God cares for you. Why are you clinging to your anxiety letting it keep you up at night and drive you from legitimate joy in this life? This is a waiting calling for all of us and we must humble ourselves. We must cry to the Lord for mercy. To be anxious is to doubt the Lord and his ability to provide. Who are we to question the ability and faithfulness of the Lord to provide? As Luke read for us this morning in Matthew 6, 25, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat and what you will drink, and nor about your body and what will you put on. I love how practical this is because these are things we're faced with every single day. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them all. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? To staying up at night, wringing our hands, and freaking out? Does that help us? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. They're not working. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today alive and tomorrow it's thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith, therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. It's important for us to note that Ruth's leaving of Moab and committing herself to Naomi is not a work that has earned her favor with the Lord through Boaz. Ruth has brought nothing and continues to bring nothing but her humble, needy dependence. Remember, she is totally reliant on Boaz for her good. And that's what God wants. And that's what God rewards. She is seeking refuge under his wing amidst his people. In Mark 2, 15 through 17, after Jesus has just called Matthew, right, the disciple uh, to be one of his disciples, it states, and he reclined at the table in his house, If your righteousness is of your own work, then you will not humble yourself to come under the wing of the Lord and seek refuge in him. You will try to do it on your own. And again, we'll just think about that a little bit longer uh, towards the end of our time. Look back, though, at verse 13. Ruth responds again to Boaz. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. That is exactly what she was wanting to do. Remember, she asked Naomi, can I go out in the hopes that I will find favor in someone's eyes, that they will show me mercy and let me glean from their harvest? Well, it is clear that Ruth has found favor in God's eyes. Her heart is set on what God can give through Boaz, rather than what her home or her parents could have provided in Moab. Luke 18 tells the story of the rich young ruler who claims to have upheld the whole law, but he is not willing to leave his worldly possessions to follow after Christ. The reason for this is because that is his comfort and his security. And verse 26 says, those who heard it said, then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, see, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Ruth has left father and mother and maybe brothers and sisters right, to come into this land to leave her gods and the God of Israel alone is her God. Ruth also provides testimony to the worthiness of Boaz here. He's not just done what he's supposed to do, right? Remember we saw in the law, they were commanded to let these these poor and and the fatherless and the the sojourner come and gather if they drop things. No, he is uh, is doing this above and beyond. He has done this with an effort of comforting Ruth and speaking kindly to her. He says to her, though, or she says, though I am not one of your ser- servants, and Boaz is now treating her as if she were one of his own, and, and indeed better than one of her servants. And this is Christ-like. Psalm 68, 5 and 6 describes the Lord in the same way. Father of the fatherless and protector of the widows is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoner to prosperity, but the rebellious dwell. In a parched land. Is this not the God that we are seeing today in our passage? Through Boaz, the Lord is being a father to one without a father. He is protecting the widows, he is providing a home for the sojourner. Our God is great and he is mighty. His power is truly awesome. And he is more tender and more caring than our minds can even comprehend. We ought to admire Ruth's humility here. Even after Boaz has just expressed this great care for her, she still then has to be called up to eat at lunchtime. Look at verse 14. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some dinner or eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. uh, Boaz, again, is calling her to himself. He is caring for her. He's asking her to come up, and then he serves her. The head of the household serves this one who is seeking to glean after his servants. This is what it looks like to be under the wings of God. When she arose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles of, for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. Boaz here now is sacrificing of himself and giving of his own wealth for Ruth. She is permitted to gather the choicest of the barley. And in fact, her, or his men are intentionally to drop their harvest for Ruth to come behind and gather. And then that comment, he says, do not reproach her. What he's saying is don't make her feel ashamed or embarrassed while she's doing this. It is with, with honor that they are to pull from their own piles and then leave behind and not make it obvious that, that she is so desperate that she needs to come and gather. Again, it, this is emphasizing that Boaz is not just doing the right thing outwardly. He truly cares for Ruth. Consider that same idea when we're thinking about the Lord. He does not just want our obedience Say, see God, I I read my Bible and I'm I'm praying with uh, families or for these families and I'm going to church regularly. God wants our heart. It's not just the outward obedience that matters. Single women, if you are desiring marriage, make this the standard for the man you are considering. Do not settle for anything less than a man who is seeking to be like Christ. Trust that what the Lord has for you and when he has that for you, Is best. So too, the single men, if you're not yet married, but you're desiring marriage, ask this about yourself. Are you this kind of man? Be Christ-like, because as we saw, marriage demands this from you. You're going to have to give yourself up for your wife. And to those who are married, ask yourself if you are living this out in your marriage. Whether you feel it or not, the Lord has given you the perfect spouse for you. According to his will and his timing, ask yourself this, especially if you have children. Are you demonstrating what Christ's relationship to his church looks like in your marriage? You must model this well, and you must do this daily. Boaz is a worthy man, but what I want us to notice is that he has not done anything great here. Consider in the time of the judges when you had men like Gideon and Samson or a woman like Deborah who are leading the people of Israel, doing very great and very mighty things in the name of the Lord. Yet here is Boaz, a businessman, doing what is faithful with what the Lord has called him to. The Lord is central in his life. He is obedient to the word. The thing that is most attractive to him is godliness. And then when this young woman is in need... And happens upon his field he gives her more than what, wor- uh, what she is, he is required to give her. He has compassion and he speaks kindly to her and he sends her away with weeks worth of food. In these seemingly small things he is being faithful to what the Lord has called him to. And I want us to consider that for ourselves because our, our pride of our flesh is very strong. Are we being faithful in the place that God has brought us to Or are we neglecting those things, seeking something greater, perhaps something that is more seen? We need to be like Boaz, who is needing to be like Christ, right? Christ is the standard. He is the goal. So let's look now at our final section, this hope of redemption. Verses 17 through 23. So she gleaned in the field until evening... Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being uh, satisfied. Recall what I said about Ruth being a hard worker. She was there working from early morning, we saw in verse 7, until evening, verse 17. And then she goes and she beats out what she has gathered. And she has collected about an ephah of barley. If you don't have your ephah conversion charts with you this morning, this is roughly five and a half gallons. And Further, that to help us get an idea of this, this is enough for about two weeks for Naomi and Ruth. So not, only, not only does Ruth come home to Naomi with leftovers for her meal, but also two weeks of, uh, of food for them both. And I would have loved to see the look on Naomi's face. Remember, Ruth asked her uh, that morning, is it okay if I go out and harvest, essentially gather scraps from those who are harvesting? And now she walks in and drops five and a half gallon sack on the table and then offers leftovers from her meal. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. Naomi recognizes the kindness shown to Ruth, and we're seeing here her perspective growing slowly and but surely as she is seeing the hand of the Lord at work among his people. Verse 20, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. Similar to her blessing toward her daughter's-in-law, after she told them to return home in chapter 1, Naomi is now pronouncing another type of blessing on this generous man. Do you see that in verse 20, whose kindness? Uh, She says, blessed be the, may he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Is Naomi here referring to the kindness of Boaz or the kindness of the Lord? Well, we know that this is the kindness of the Lord manifested through Boaz. The Lord is using Boaz to show his care and his kindness and his mercy. So really, it's both here. But the author carefully uses this elusive way of phrasing that, so our minds have to think through that. And and just again, recognizing the sovereignty and providence of the Lord in all of this. And this kindness is shown by not forsaking the living or the dead. The care and the love, the, 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 the kindness that was shown to Ruth this day, has already begun to honor the Elimelech household. And Naomi is recognizing this. And that hope that glimmered in the distance for Naomi as she was standing in the fields of Moab is now revealing itself to be far greater than she possibly could have imagined. Remember, she just went because she heard the Lord had visited and now there's food over there so we're going to go over there. In fact, I'll just go. You guys go back home. It'll be better for you. She could not have possibly imagined what was happening here. And you can just picture her mind just beginning to race with thoughts of what could be now with this kind man who has so showered their family. Boaz happens to be a kinsman redeemer of naomi's family no we know that the lord has providentially brought boaz to the place in his life where he is with his enterprise and brought ruth to the place where she is from another land into his field remember from chapter one i referenced deuteronomy 25 and i want to remind us of that this morning because it's going to just keep that weight of a, of a redeemer in its immediate context Deuteronomy twenty five five through six says, "If a brother dwells, if brothers dwell together, and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be bar- married outside of the family to strangers. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife, and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And the first son whom she bears shall succeed to the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel." Boaz is this close relative. He's this redeemer. He's from Bethlehem of the clan of Elimelech. Now Naomi is beginning to see that Boaz would be able to appropriately redeem this household. Look at verse 21. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, you shall keep close to my young men until they have finished all my harvest. The author is seemingly reminding us of how just impossible the day was that Ruth has just had. Yet we know that nothing is impossible for the Lord. And this is not just some one-time, just very generous gift. Boaz has told Ruth that she can expect this until the harvest is over. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest another field, in another field you be assaulted. Again, just reminding us of the brokenness in this fallen world, the dangers not just of, of famine or a drought, but also just, just wicked men. There's a real danger, and we're seeing the sweet mercy of the Lord by providing and protecting Ruth. He did not allow her to go into another field. No, he brought her to a man who every day he shows up for work and says, The Lord be with you. And the men say, Lord bless you and keep you. Finally, in verse 23, we have this summation verse, similar to the end of chapter 1. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Now there is a difference between barley and wheat harvest. The wheat harvest came just as the barley harvest was finishing. So in this very real way, we're seeing God provide abundantly for these people. And notice how chapter 1 uh, of Ruth ends and now how chapter 2 ends. Chapter 1, they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest gleaning until the end of barley and wheat harvest. God is good, and he's showing amazing care for Ruth and Naomi. Ruth the Moabite is shown mercy that is so undeserved, and this is so comforting to us because it's revealing to us the character of God as we are foreigners who are outside of of God, and he is now bringing us into himself. Earlier I read in Psalm 146 verse 9, I read just the first part of that verse, Now, listen to the whole verse. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. What we are seeing in our text this morning is the Lord caring for his own. The Lord is merciful and he is compassionate, and he allows common grace of rain to fall on both the the just and the unjust. But he is just and he is holy. Listen to Jesus' words in Matthew 13. Jesus uh, puts this other parable before the people, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came to him and said master did you not sow good seed in your field and does how does it have weeds and he said to them an enemy has done this so the servant said to them said to him then do you want us to go and gather them but he said no lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them let both grow together until the harvest and at harvest time i will tell the reapers gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned But gather the wheat into my barn. Later, he he leaves the crowds and goes to the house, and his disciples come to him and they ask, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the beginning of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun. In the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. So, this parable is not just fitting for us this morning simply because we talked so much about harvesting. It's fitting because we're considering the Lord according to his word. If you do not have the hope of Christ's righteousness in you, then humble yourself, repent of your sin, and turn to the Lord. Cry out for him for mercy, take refuge under his wing we will all die one day. And when that day comes, we will all stand before the Holy Judge. And if you bring your efforts and your works and your good deeds and cry out, give me entrance, see what I have done for you, his pronouncement will be, depart from me, I never knew you. But if your only claim to everlasting life with him is that all you ever did was seek refuge under his wing. If this is all that you bring before the judge, his pronouncement will be, Well done, good and faithful servant. Come and dwell in my presence forever. Let's pray.